0: Welcome to Natsac Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve. The popular perception of intelligence gathering revolves around the swashbuckling heroes of spy thrillers. In fact, there's a lot of desk work involved in intelligence, analysts pouring over paperwork to find leads and connections. Artificial intelligence is expected to revolutionize that aspect of spycraft. Analysts could team with machines to sift through vast quantities of data to gain new insights and enhance decision-making. Our guests today have written a paper called Day in the Life of an AI Augmented Analyst to give us a glimpse of how this machine-human teaming could impact intelligence and national security. With me today, Chip Usher, Senior Director for Intelligence at the Special Competitive Studies Project. Prior to joining SCSP, Chip spent 32 years at the Central Intelligence Agency. Tara McLaughlin is the Associate Director for Government Affairs at SCSP. Before joining SCSP, she was a research assistant at the Global Research Institute, GeoLab, and the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies, as well as a War Studies Fellow at the Institute for the Study of War. Great to have you both with me.
1: Thank you, Gene. Good to be here.
0: Thanks Jean. First, let me say that I loved your paper. It made this theoretical discussion about AI and intelligence much more concrete. I was much better able to understand the practical impact. This technology might have. So for those who have not had a chance to read this paper yet, I'd love to walk listeners through it. It starts out at 8 a.m. A terror financing analyst has just arrived at CIA headquarters at Langley and logs on to something called ALICE. Explain what ALICE is and what it does.
2: Sure. So ALICE is an augmented LLM and intelligence categorizing enterprise Um, Similar to a chat GPT-like language model, it can provide information about documents, language translation, summarization, and help an analyst research and write reports.
0: So Chip, this analyst walks in at 8 a.m., logs on. What's Alice doing for the analyst right from the get-go?
1: So what Alice is doing when the analyst first arrives to the office is already clocking a very busy day. Right? That's one of the key things that I think uh, will be a benefit for the IC is the systems that they'll be using in the future won't necessarily have to switch off at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the evening. They can continue to work uh, on behalf of the analysts and the mission that they're serving. And one of the, uh, the things that we pointed out at the beginning of this article is how the generative AI tool can augment and enhance one of the essential functions of an analyst, which is conducting search. So right now, today, analysts and in our intelligence community are looking at their queue of emails and other documents, looking for nuggets of information. Those, uh, that volume of data is exploding every year. And it's becoming almost impossible for a human to crunch through all that information. Just by way of uh, explanation, I started in the agency in the early, early 90s, and I probably had you know, a healthy queue of maybe 100 documents to look at. By that time I left, 32 years later, it was thousands, relevant to just my account. Um, so the, the Alice system would go through and tier that information Uh, making decisions uh, and reporting to the analysts. These are absolutely crucial to your account and what you're working on. These are chaff and you don't need to to focus on them. And then here's the middle zone that the AI is not quite sure they could be relevant. It sort of depends. And it bears the analyst's critical judgment to look at them.
0: And what I found interesting is that it will do instantaneous translation for you if some of this stuff is in a foreign language.
1: We're already having uh, great success with machine translation across a whole variety of languages around the world. That's with text-based documents. That's happening today. Uh, On the cutting edge are tools that allow you to, to hear near simultaneous translation of audio files, video files, and the like. So that is entirely possible within the next few years.
2: Yeah. And I think something that was important to us when we were working on this piece was combining technology that's already here, like the language translation and technology that is coming. Things like the automatic categorization of these documents, um, things like the AI sort of searching through documents, identifying what an analyst has found important in the past. So we see Alice and these tools as being interactive and trained specifically to the analysts that they're working on, almost like a personal assistant.
0: So, as of 10 a.m. in in your uh, article, um, the system has flagged a French Lebanese businessman, um, and um, and Alice helps you reach out to foreign partners, right, to see what they have on this individual that might be
1: relevant. Right. So, in the intelligence world today, there's a lot of work with allied and friendly uh, government intelligence services. What we envision in the not-too-distant future is uh, a much more uh, efficient and smooth collaborative space being created between U.S. intelligence services and friendly ones abroad that allow for near real-time or actual, in fact, real-time exploitation of data as it comes in and the sharing of, of insights. Uh, right now, it's, it's sort of a 19th century paper process right? Our, our analysts are looking at information, maybe pr- preparing some assessments. Those are then shared selectively with foreign partners, and they eventually respond. Uh, that can take days or, or weeks. Uh, in the future, we won't have the luxury of such time, uh, and we will have the tools and ability to work much more effectively, not just between countries, but also between departments and agencies.
0: And through this, the analyst is actually interacting with the machine,
2: right? The machine isn't just on autopilot, correct? Throughout the different job functions that an analyst had, from the search and discovery process that Chip mentioned at the beginning, to summarization of documents, hypothesis formation, developing theories, testing them, and then writing pieces – The AI can assist throughout all of these different functions that an analyst is working through, including communicating with foreign partners.
0: One thing that intrigued me at this point in the paper was that this French Lebanese businessman who might be providing some sort of financing to Hezbollah, you discovered that the folks in the Hezbollah financing network are also using AI, right, to mask what they're doing. Talk to me about that.
2: Yeah, this was a really important piece for us. Because as we talk about innovation in the public sector, in the intelligence community, we also have to consider that our adversaries, everything from non-state actors to state actor adversaries, are going to be developing the same kinds of technologies that we're developing at speed also. And so
0: is there the possibility then that um, our adversaries could spoof us by introducing a lot of fake data or doctored data into the sets that the AI is looking at?
1: A- absolutely. And there will be this competition underway in uh, starting now and into the future between AI systems, where uh, competitors on both sides are trying to in- employ artificial intelligence to make their ability to arrive at critical insights, efficient and effective and accurate, and also counter their adversaries' ability to do that by either creating disinformation, polluting their data sets, et cetera. I think the US intelligence community will always uh, abide by certain uh, prescriptions against uh, creating propaganda or false information, but we can't guarantee that our adversaries will follow the same rules. And Uh, In fact, I think artificial intelligence, uh, from our perspective, if we're using it smartly, can help tease out or discern those trends and disinformation to help us find those uh, false reports and put them aside.
0: Yeah, you hope that we'll find it or otherwise it could take you down a total rabbit hole, couldn't it?
1: It certainly could, but already we're seeing uh some actors around the world and i'm I'm thinking here of some of our friends in Ukraine and in Taiwan that are already employing artificial intelligence to identify bot activity in social media networks, seeing similar false information postings and within seconds identifying uh, the perpetrators of these. Uh, false bits of data and labeling them so that uh, their consumers in those two countries understand that it's it's a false flag.
0: So at noon in your scenario, Alice helps organize the information into a matrix. Explain exactly what a
1: matrix is in intelligence world. Uh, For intelligence analysts, there's that first step of finding out what's going on, Getting all the relevant information and then you've got to make some sense of it. And that employs uh, obviously a, a fair amount of tacit knowledge, the knowledge that the analyst and their compadres already bring to the problem set. And then there's using structure techniques um, in some cases to make uh, sense of that data to see what the trend and the patterns are. Uh, A very basic tool is a matrix, right? It could be as simple as a timeline of events or a correlation of two factors uh, to see if there are any uh, corresponding trends. Uh, Sometimes that process can take a little while. Uh, uh, When you're dealing with vast data sets, you're always paranoid as an analyst that you're missing something, that you didn't account for all the reporting. Uh, what we envision with this uh, fictitious system, Alex, Alice, is that it could be done very, very quickly and very comprehensively,
2: sure. and to add on to that, I think this is where the idea of human machine teaming really comes in, so this is sort of thinking about the Alice system as a partnership. The job of an intelligence analyst is by nature a teamwork activity. You have a group of other analysts working on the same account working to produce these written products, typically, An analyst sort of works by themselves to produce something to bring to the team. The idea with Alice is that before moving forward to the team, an analyst can work with the Alice system. It can trade ideas back and forth in a sort of red teaming to develop these matrices so that the product that an individual analyst is bringing to their team is better than it would be if they were just working alone.
0: And does it also facilitate the interaction with the team and their products once you've gone through this?
1: We can certainly imagine that happening. Um, you know, when I was uh, a manager at CIA, we would uh, push our employees to make sure that they were not just putting forward their own ideas, but getting really the best that uh, their our office and other offices uh, could bring to bear on a particular problem. And it takes time. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting You know, eight people in a room at the same time for a meeting and then going through a bunch of data and and uh, comparing notes and comparing assessments, anything that can be done to speed along that process uh, makes the uh, uh, arrival at critical insight for policymakers even faster.
0: At 2 p.m. in your scenario, Alice helps prepare a written assessment. I guess anybody who's written a term paper with Chad GPT would be a little bit familiar with this, but discuss how Alice does it.
2: Sure, well, again, this is back to the human machine teaming point. So for example, you could imagine an analyst coming up with an outline, a first draft, submitting that first draft, draft to Alice and asking, where does my writing not so good? Help me improve my writing. And just like a human teammate, Alice can respond with suggestions of areas with weak, weak analysis or poor punctuation or poor grammar in the same way that, you know, a writing buddy or a tutor can sort of help you improve your writing. And this is something we already see, you know, as you alluded to, um, students using ChatGPT or other large language models for writing. Obviously, there's a point where uh, it becomes unhelpful but in general, I think using AI systems, using large language models to make your work better in an honest way is, is a really great thing and can be really helpful for, for analysts and anyone who does writing.
1: And intelligence analysis isn't a monolith. There's all uh, different types that IC experts perform. You know, at the very high end, they're doing really creative and innovative thinking on some very tough and complex challenges. At the low end, however, there's you know overnight updates. There are um, the you know fifteenth uh, report on the same topic to um, a customer, perhaps a, a foreign liaison partner, or something like that. That it's a little bit more rote. I mean, it's important, but it's not you know really high level critical thinking. And I could see certainly early days with generative AI that some of those more mundane tasks could be performed by machines probably reasonably well, thereby preserving the time and the energy for the IC's precious cadre of a few thousand all-source analysts for the really tough projects.
0: An interesting nugget in your report was that the AI can help you prepare reports for foreign entities that ensure you aren't divulging information to people or countries or agencies that you shouldn't be divulging it to.
1: That's right. So uh, this this is a critical function that intelligence analysts uh, perform, and there are strict rules. We gather all sorts of information, some of which is open source and unclassified, much of which is classified. And within that sphere of information, it's subdivided. There's a lot that we share with Let's say the British or the French or other friendly countries. There are other countries that are, you know, friends, but they're not as close as some of these other countries. And we typically don't share as much information with them. Understanding where that line is drawn for every topic and every country is incredibly complex and must be done perfectly every time or there's a leak or a spill of uh, an unauthorized spill of information. So here is where, again, a machine can really help by applying those rules absolutely assiduously on behalf of the analyst, thereby reducing human error. So what happens to
0: this analysis produced by the analyst and by Alice? How is it used? What does it do?
1: Well, ultimately, the purpose of all-source intelligence analysis is to inform policymakers or U.S. government decision makers, be they a warfighter or somebody at the very senior echelons of government. So ultimately, it's about delivering insight. Most commonly, we think of the written word, the most famous uh, intelligence product that everyone's probably heard of is the President's Daily Brief. But there are a wide variety of written uh, formats that are used to reach not just the president, but all uh, U.S. government officials. And they each have their own formats and ways of uh, reaching their customers. And increasingly, we're reaching out to customers using other uh, media formats to include podcasts and videos and things of that nature. So again, uh, generative AI can be uh, of great assistance in... In managing customer engagement and relations, part of, uh, it, uh, part of the work that Generative AI can uh, help with is literally in the production and, and distribution of material. That's kind of at the, the easier, low end. But at the higher end, it's about understanding what your customer is actually reading and what they're actually interested in and getting that feedback to you real time. Right now, again, we kind of fall back on these 19th century processes where it's intelligence briefers who are having conversations with uh, customers in the policy world that come back at the end of the day with, well, here's what I recall they said that they're interested in. Imagine if that were a bit more digitized in real time. Generative AI and machine language uh, can help with that.
0: I might add that in your scenario, the the bad guy, the Hezbollah financier, is quickly arrested. So a a positive ending to your story. Um, I'd like to quickly run through um, how using a system like ALICE contrasts with current practices. And we brought off some of them. Obviously, it can go through more data more quickly. It may discern patterns that a human might not be able to enhance his collaboration, apparently, across teams and also with with partners elsewhere in the IC and internationally. And what have I missed? What else is it adding?
1: So uh, I would say two points. One thing that you didn't put into your list, but we think is a very important potential use for generative AI is assisting managers and analysts themselves in evaluating the tradecraft that they're employing. For example, uh, as Tara mentioned, there's kind of the grading of of the written word. was it grammatically correct, accurate, uh, were your arguments supported, that sort of thing. But making sure that the analyst is getting the feedback as to whether or not their product is meeting the standard set by the intelligence community for all of those things in real time. So it becomes a de facto training tool. And it's a tool for managers of analysts to understand how the workforce is performing uh, and uh, seeing patterns in areas that the the team may be particularly skilled at or need some work in developing. Some things that probably won't change. I mean, you'll notice that we didn't write this article to say that Alice – It's going to be acting alone and replacing uh, 15 analysts. Uh, That was, I think, an original fear by many in the federal workforce that uh, Gen AI was going to end up replacing them on the front lines. And we really don't see that happening. We see AI as an augmentative tool and an aid in the ways that we've described, but uh, the human in the loop will always be vital.
0: So the IC has had to adapt to other technologies, computers, let's say. Is this transformation different?
2: Sure. I think it's different in some ways, but I think it can be helpful for people to imagine the adoption of generative AI and other AI tools as similar to the adoption of computers, to the internet, to word processors in terms of its ability to increase speed. For example, um, You know, Chip has talked about in his his early days um, in the intelligence community, the writing process took a lot longer because you didn't have uh, word processors in the similar form that we do today, where you can type at speed, disseminate your product at speed um, in real time to colleagues. You might have to print it out, walk down the hallway, pick it up from the printer, drop it off at someone's desk. Those things take time. And as Chip's mentioned, Delivering insight at speed is what the purpose of the intelligence community is.
0: Privacy is an issue that often comes up when it comes to data in the intelligence community. Are the guidelines in place that are needed in the
1: age of AI? They're being created. Uh, In fact, the latest uh, National Defense Authorization Act calls on the intelligence community to work with the Office of Management and Budget to come up with a common lexicon for artificial intelligence. And it calls on the intelligence community to report to Congress on how generative AI conforms with, or will conform with, established analytic tradecraft standards. So I think the roles are uh, being set as we speak. And privacy is of vital importance to the country and to the intelligence community. I think uh from SESP's point of view, we think the intelligence community has done a pretty good job of understanding the implications of Gen.AI. And they understand that large language models that are trained on the Internet, which, as you know, Gene, is built mainly from information uh, acquired from U.S. users. I think the percentage is something like 60 percent of the data available on the internet somehow involves a U.S. user in some way, shape, or form. The the intelligence community understands the challenge, uh, and they will need clear guidance from Congress and from the White House as to how they can employ these tools in a way that's consistent with U.S. law and with uh, established IC practices. And there may be some areas at the margins where the intelligence community may need to go to Congress and the White House to seek some relief in some particular area so that they can make the best use of generative AI. You know, these large language models uh, built from the internet are, are becoming increasingly powerful. If you cut off the IC entirely from that capability, then you're sort of relegating our intelligence services to second class when it comes to the capability of these systems. So there's probably some hybrid approach where it's not just the IC plugging in their intelligence questions into ChatGPT. We wouldn't want that. Uh, but maybe uh, not just telling them that they have to create whole cloth through their own generative AI, which would be very expensive and clunky, and probably not utilizing the most advanced technology. There's probably some hybrid approach, and I think some of the agencies are already exploring that.
0: What about security? Are these systems potentially vulnerable to hacking of some kind? And if they were penetrated and were being used in the way you've been talking about, would that be game over?
1: Uh, It certainly would be uh, a huge setback. And they are uh, potentially vulnerable. And again, the IC understands this and is taking security very, very seriously because there are people out to get us. There are countries that are looking to spoil our use of generative AI. And they can do this in a number of ways. I talked a little bit about how large language models are trained. Well, they understand our our rules regarding privacy. So one thing that could be done is to pollute as much uh, data that LLMs are trained on publicly so that the IC could never touch them because it's uh, rife with Privacy information. So, the the safeguards and hardening of whatever systems the IC develops have to be built in from the from the beginning, and that really starts with our data um, and the algorithms uh, that we'll be employing.
0: You've mentioned that some of our adversaries are moving quickly to adopt AI. What about our allies? Are they moving quickly enough and are they moving in concert with the U.S.? Are the systems going to be compatible?
1: Well, they ought to be uh, because I think the power of our alliances uh, are built on shared values, but they're uh, effective because of shared perception, analysis, and insight. So at the end of the day, our allies are perceiving the threat from, say, Russia against Ukraine or the potential threat of China against Taiwan through a a shared lens with us. And as we go through uh, and look at the various uh, national security and national competitiveness challenges in the years ahead, it sure would be helpful if we can bring along our friends and allies by Sharing uh, a, a common approach, and in some cases, sharing technology and capability with them so that they they can move in concert with us. I think the reality today is some are, but not all. Um, there are some partners and allies who lack the resources. Um, in some cases, they have uh, you know well well justified uh, concerns about privacy for their own citizens and uh, what uh, means for their um, uh, intellectual property rights and, and other issues. Uh, these will need to be addressed. Again, I think we should take heart in that the senior leadership of our intelligence community and several allied countries are already talking about these issues. And we are uh, strongly encouraging them to move from kind of conceptual talk of doing things uh, collaboratively to actual implementation.
0: What do you think are the biggest barriers to adoption within the CIA and beyond?
1: So there are certainly a, um, a host of technical and, and resource challenges to envision uh, enabling or creating the type of digitized, data-driven, AI-driven world that uh, Tara has, has written about in this piece. Uh, those are, are expensive. We've already talked about some of the, the policy issues that need to be sorted out. And those aren't simpler, uh easily done. So that's going to take some time. But you know, the thing that actually I am more concerned by and interested in are some of the cultural issues. Um, when uh, I've done my reading on genitive AI as it's being applied in the private sector, what comes across very clearly from those companies that are the most effective at deploying it in their work is how it really transforms the nature of the organization and intelligence analysis is thought work. And there are companies out there who are engaged in thought work that are using gen AI and it's absolutely upended their existing processes for delivering value to their customers. And so I think we should anticipate that the IC will have to cross that uh, chasm before it is actually fully making the best use of Gen AI. And it's gonna be everything from um, just the processes for uh, 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 publicizing its information and assessments, Uh, getting them to customers, to the actual uh, way it mines data resources. Um, There are vast holdings in the IC. A lot of it's confidential information, but it pales in comparison to the amount of openly available data that's out there. And the IC needs to be able to tap into it in ways that it can't today. And I think there's going to be um, some implications for how it hires the next generation of analysts as well. And Tara, you might want to say something about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, so part of the purpose of writing this piece was to show, first of all, more experienced analysts the power and the promise that AI can deliver, but also to show young people interested in national security what an analyst does day to day and what's possible if the IC adopts these technologies at speed. In order to better appeal to Gen Z, as people call us, I think the IC needs to offer a strong sense of mission and purpose to people. Um, and I also think it needs to show young people interested in technology or um, interested in working at the sort of top tech companies that we talk about, that they have the skills to work in the IC, be it, you know, a financial analyst who can contribute to a techno-economic mission or a computer scientist who can introduce new technologies to the IC workforce. Obviously, the government will never be able to match The pay scale of these top companies. But in order to attract my generation without matching that pay system, uh, it needs to demonstrate that this mission that the IC is serving is something that can give young people purpose and it can give young people uh, the ability to really contribute to making the world a better and safer place and making the country better for their service.
1: While using the latest cutting-edge technology. Uh, that sense of mission, I think, is long pervaded in the IC, but um, the, uh, the difficulty that the IC faces now is we, we ask young people to come join and work against Hezbollah or other bad actors, a terrific mission, but leave your iPhone at home. Uh, and you can't log on to the internet. Um, and, you know, you can't use any uh, chat GPT or generative AI. And going forward, the IC needs to adapt because that's the U.S. workforce that's coming now. These young people are used to uh, working in a digital world, and they'll expect that whatever uh, workplace they go to, that they'll have the opportunity. I think working in the intelligence community is a fantastic career, and anybody going in should understand that there will be some very special rules that apply to what they can and cannot do, Um But that said, they need to, uh, if we're going to attract this type of tech talent that we want, they've got to be able to use it uh, in the appropriate form.
0: Is there real urgency to adapting these new technologies? And was one of the purposes in writing this paper to light a fire underneath people to get it done?
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, absolutely. There's uh, a lot of inertia. a lot of focus, and some of it appropriately so. We've talked about the counterintelligence risks, the security risks, the risks to uh, protecting uh, U.S. citizens' privacy, and, and other very legitimate concerns. I think it's natural that any large organization, you know, the first reactions are cautious, right? Let's let's make sure this does no harm. Uh, but this is moving at a very rapid pace. And the, the pace is not just making it uh, urgent that we come to some conclusions about how we're going to mitigate those risks, but also, and as importantly in our view, how we're going to take advantage of the benefits that are coming. And there are multiple. So the capabilities that people are seeing today with BARD or ChatGPT they're going to be quickly eclipsed, and when we're using generative AI a year or two years from now, I think everybody will see that there's a great uh, capability for people engaged in thought work, and that includes the intelligence committee.
0: Chip Usher and Tara McLaughlin, thank you both for this conversation. And the article again is called "A Day in the Life of an AI-Augmented Analyst." Before we leave a quick reminder about the inaugural AI Expo for National Competitiveness. It will take place May 7th and 8th in conjunction with the Ash Carter Exchange on Innovation and in National Security at the Walter E Washington Convention Center in DC. If you're interested in being a sponsor, exhibiting or attending, visit scsp.ai/expo. We hope to see you there. This has been Tech Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve. Thanks for joining us and take care.